0: Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to The Conference Room. previously on the conference room
1: i would say the first thing you know that i took from my advertising world was the importance of really understanding the brand positioning the brand values and nailing that down early because when i was doing some consulting i would work with startups and they did not do that <laughs> they would focus on the product and they would not think about the brand
0: and now today's show good afternoon and welcome to the Conference Room podcast. I'm joined once again by Mm -hmm. Lynn Power. And Lynn, we're going to really jump off of our conversation from last time and uh, talk a little bit more about the jump that you made from the corporate world into starting your own business and your entrepreneurial journey. So, just before we do, perhaps you'd like to recap a little bit on your background when you were in the corporate world.
1: Sure. So yes, as you said, I was in the corporate world for a long time, 30 years. I spent my career in advertising and I kind of worked my way up at various agencies, all kind of like names you would have heard, you know, BBDO and Ogilvy and Mather and Gray. To my last job in advertising, I was the CEO of J. Walter Thompson in New York, which is a brand that doesn't exist anymore. And then in 2018, I left. And this is what I guess we're gonna get into, right? (laughs) why and how and that whole thing
0: right absolutely and for people that want to know a little bit about what you what you're doing now obviously there is the previous episode of the podcast which I would encourage them to listen to but specifically what was it that made you want to jump from the corporate world into starting your own thing
1: well I think it was a couple things I think one was just me being selfish and I'm, I, you know, feeling like I'm too old to do this anymore and take orders from other people and, you know, make other people money. And I, I had been, you know, working in advertising, obviously a long time and I loved the creative side of the business, but when you become the boss. You aren't doing that anymore. You're doing like the drudgery side of the business in a lot of ways, and it can be very tedious because you're dealing with you know legal and and finance and HR and all sorts of things that are not fun problems to solve, but like problem problems to solve. You know, so I just realized I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing, and there was really nothing else for me to accomplish in advertising. I felt like well, I kind of done what I would wanted to do in advertising, so you know, going to work at another agency doing that same job would not have been fulfilling for me. So I decided to leave. I actually started a brand consultancy, which the whole point was for me to get back to building brands. And I was working almost exclusively with startups, because the ability to work directly with a founder talk about a strategy talk about ideas you know have them get excited and then literally the next day you see that they've changed their website already it would be like they've literally taken your feedback and implemented it and it happens so fast whereas when you're working with a big legacy company like a and j or a Nestle you know those types of companies It's like years before you see any change. Sometimes you never see the change because, you know, by the time they decide to implement it, the world's changed around them and they have to actually do something else. So it can be, it can feel a little like frustrating because you just feel like let's get on with it. But in the startup world, it wasn't like that at all. It was the opposite. So I was really enjoying that. And I would have probably kept doing that for a long time. But I I then met my co-founder, James, and that sort of redirected me into what I'm doing now, which is launched our own haircare brand. So should I tell a little bit of how that happened?
0: Yeah, that that was going to be my next question, which was, of all things, why haircare? As opposed to, you know, starting, you know, maybe, I mean, you've talked a little bit about why you chose not to start your own advertising firm, but why specifically haircare?
1: Well, the irony is I've never had good hair. My hair is like thin and colored and not great. And I always wear it up like this. And my partner, my co-founder is bald. So, you know, for us to start a hair care company is kind of a a laughable thing in some ways. But they
0: start a business in what you know all about. So there you go.
1: I mean, the thing is, I've worked in hair care throughout my career. So I actually launched back in the day, this is really dating myself, Gillette series, Hair Care for Men. This was in, oh my gosh, the mid 2000s, like, I don't know, 2005, 2000, it's, it's some, somewhere way back then. So it was, it was when everyone was like, oh, men are metrosexuals now, they need grooming. Right. <laughs> And it was funny because, you know, Gillette was all over, it, but yet it never really took off to the way that they thought it was going to. And here we are years later, and it still isn't quite the way that they had envisioned. But nonetheless, we did launch a haircare line for men at the time. And then actually, after I left that job, I went and worked at McCann Erickson, which is another big, well-known agency. And I worked on the L'Oreal haircare business. So when I was there, that's when I worked with some of the celebs and you know, worked on a number of different hair care brands and hair color brands, launching, relaunching, that whole thing. And then I've worked on other, like when I left and I went to Arnold, I worked on Nexus, which was a, like a salon hair, hair care brand and also on Clinique. So I've dabbled in it off and on, interestingly enough. And what had happened was my partner, James, He had actually worked at Clarol for a really long time. He was like the head creative services guy who would book the models for the shoots. And what would happen is they'd come in and he'd have to color their hair to whatever color they were doing the shoot for. And then contractually they had to color their hair back because they wanted to be able to go do other jobs with whatever hair color, right? But that process of coloring and recoloring in basically a day, their hair would be fried, like completely fried. And they would be crying tears, like crying to James about how unhappy they were. And he would be the guy that would be like, you know, yes, I understand. Okay. And felt so bad for them. But he realized like none of the products that they had worked to really fix their hair. So he thought to himself, there's gotta be a better solution, a product that actually gives them that hydration and doesn't leave them with this damaged fried hair. So he so started you became, in- So you
0: became, so you became uh, the the kind of the brand specialist with a branding background within hair. James is the product guy uh, who understands yes. if you like the technical side. Yes. Uh, for want of a better term, the chemistry involved. That is in-
1: exactly right.
0: And then the two of you come together, step out of the corporate background into this kind of cold wasteland of entrepreneurialism. Okay. And uh, have to literally you know, start making it rain, okay? So I get at that point, I'm guessing you had some kind of anticipation of what that world was going to look like, okay? I guess, so first off, how did you actually start making it rain, okay? What were the first things that you did coming out of the corporate world to start this thing going? And I'm not talking about, you know, opening a bank account and, you know, the, the kind of basic stuff, but to actually start building a business and looking back, how different were your anticipations of what it was going to be to the reality of what it actually was
1: yeah boy if i can remember back (laughs) it seems like so long ago now okay so i guess one of the first things we did when we decided and you characterize it perfectly he is like the creative genius hair intuition chemist guy even though he doesn't have a chemistry background and i'm the branding marketing go-to-market person business person so when we got together, the first thing we had to do is come up with a brand. You know, we didn't have anything but these formulas. So the brand name was inspired by his husband. I don't know if I had told you that before, Masa. And Masa comes from northeast Japan, from this little town called Atsuchi. And the name Masami actually means truly beautiful in Japanese. So it was oh, just it was beautiful. Yes, it was like serendipity when we figured that out. And then the question is, can you get the trademark? Because the name's great. And voila the trademark was available so that was step one then it was like okay we need packaging but this is the thing i always tell people like it's a little cart before the horse if you brief the package designer without knowing what you want the brand to be so like you have to do a little bit of work around okay what's our vision for this thing what's the sensibility what's the aesthetic what's the target we're looking for what's the brand voice what are the values so that you can really direct your designer to execute against it. Otherwise they're shooting in the dark and you're just hoping they land on something good, right? So, you know, we definitely knew we wanted this sort of what I would call East meets West sensibility, sort of New York innovation and passion meets Japanese Zen and simplicity. And, And we wanted our products to be gender neutral, which was important because I think today, you know, gender fluidity is very much the thing and we want to be an inclusive brand. So we don't want to only appeal to women or only to men. So that was part of what we briefed on. And then we wanted an elevated experience. You know, we wanted the products to feel a little sophisticated, They're premium price, the ingredients are super high quality. So we wanted that to come across in the branding and the packaging too. So, you know, you, you put all that together, you give that to the designer. He actually came back with five designs And this was the one we chose, which we loved. And then, of course, you have to go make it. (laughs) You have to figure out how to source the packaging and do all that. And we ended up getting the bottles themselves for our 10 ounce from Amsterdam, the closures from Taiwan, other closures from China, other closures from Italy, like we couldn't find one supplier to do everything. So we're now trying to figure that out because once we got past the initial launch, now it's like, okay, how can we make that easier for ourselves? So there's that, but then there's a step. So once you get the branding, the, you know, the packaging, you have a product, then you have to figure out, okay, what's your go-to-market strategy, right? Like, how are you going to actually sell this thing? What's your distribution strategy? And you do need to have that kind of mapped out. Otherwise you're going to just, flounder at every opportunity because if you end up and actually this happened to a brand that I worked with. She got the opportunity to sell in Target. She was a small skincare brand at the time it almost put her out of business because it sounds great. Like, "oh, I can get into target. It's you know a big opportunity, but the slotting fees, the, the fact that they didn't know where to put her and put her on the bottom shelf. So she wasn't getting the, the velocity that they required. Like there were so many issues with the whole situation that she uh, literally almost put her out of business. So I think you have to be realistic and you have to be careful about what you want, because if you get into the wrong retailer it can be a real problem. So we're very careful. We want it to be in salons. We want to be into like e-commerce marketplaces that, care about values, that, you know, care about sustainability, things like that. And yeah. And then, you know, once you map that out, then I think there's a lot to do in terms of just making sure you're operationally ready, that you have the e-commerce site set up, that you've got all the right plugins. Oh my God, you could go crazy with the plugins. And then it works and that you have the right fulfillment solution. And that when act- somebody act- orders actually, that it goes to the right place. You know, so you have to test all this stuff.
0: So you had come out of basically being a branding sort of advertising executive, albeit, you know, the CEO of an advertising agency, but predominantly sort of focused on the advertising and marketing side of the house. Okay. And suddenly you're now thrust into making decisions on technology, on sourcing, buying, product design, manufacture, retail, distribution, HR, financing, like... The list is almost endless, okay? So how did you transition from being the master of a very kind of defined silo of a business to having to then be responsible for every facet of the business?
1: So I would say like advertising prepares you pretty well if you're an account person, because you have to deal with lots of different levels and layers all within marketing, true, but nonetheless. But when you actually get into management, I was dealing with HR and technology and a lot of those things at the agency level because I had to sort of, you know, rebuild our digital group. So, okay, what's the capabilities we need? You know, you'd have to figure that stuff out. So I had a decent amount of knowledge and experience into like that side of the business and what I needed to be successful and what types of people I needed on the team. And I think that's a really critical part for anyone who wants to launch a business is you have to understand what you don't know, or or I shouldn't say it that way because you don't wanna go deep and learn everything, but you at least have to know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Identify it and then like say, okay, I know SEO is something out there. I don't really know how to do it myself, but I know it's important. So I need to find somebody who can plug that gap for me on my team and help us figure that out. And I have a lot of founders that I talk to who kind of have this thing about like, they wanna be the experts and know it all. And I'm like, oh my God, no, you'll never figure it all out. There's way too much stuff to figure out. And it changes all the time. Like the Facebook algorithm is changing all the time. The Instagram, Amazon alone, you could literally spend all day in the black hole of Amazon and never come out. So you just have to figure out what those pieces are that you need, what capabilities you need, and then be able to make sure you have access to them. It doesn't mean you need somebody full-time, by the way.
0: Right. Are, like so you can did... go onto
1: Fiverr and find like somebody who can do your SEO for a week and pay them 500 bucks. You know what I mean? Right.
0: No, absolutely. So how, how did you prioritize or determine the stuff that you could do yourself? the stuff you would hire someone in to do full time, and then the stuff you would bring in either a consultant or a Fiverr or an Upwork person, just to kind of, you know, plug a small area.
1: I would say for me, it was more about what I know that I'm good at and what I know I'm really bad at. Like I'm not great at all the analytics myself. Other people love the spreadsheets and getting into that. And I'm just not, that's not me. Same with the finances. Like I'm not the person who's gonna build out our valuation model. (laughs) Okay. So those are places where I brought in experts and what we did in our model, and it's not for everybody is, you know, we are self-funded. We don't have investors, outside investors. So everyone on my team is really a a shareholder of the company. They're equity partners in the company and they don't have salaries. And I have a content person and I have a digital acquisition person. And we have somebody who does Facebook and we have a CFO. And that works for us because I get the expertise I need and they are highly motivated because the more successful we are, the more successful they're going to be. So it, it, it's just hard to find people that will do that because they have to be at a point in their life where either they have another job that's paying the bills and this is a side thing and they're willing to do it, or they don't really need the money because they're in a dual income household. And you know what I'm saying? Like you have to just find the people that are willing to take on that kind of role. But when you can, it works great because I feel like I have a highly, highly motivated team and I've got that expertise now where I don't have to figure that stuff out.
0: Right. And that's great. So what would you say were the primary areas that you kind of were expecting it to look like this? But in reality, it looks a lot more like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, COVID was also one of those things where it was like, oh, (laughs) I guess things are turning upside
0: down. I wonder what do we do now? (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) So, I, I mean, one of the big things was I was expecting to have a lot more salon traction right? And the salons were open and closed and then open and closed and like that whole thing. So that was really challenging. And, and the other thing is Facebook has been not easy to figure out. You know, I've talked to a number of other founders who have all said the same thing. It's like the ROIs on Facebook these days are awful and none of us really know why. Is it something in the algorithm? Is it just there's so much spend there that the little guys get squeezed out? I don't know, but it's really hard. So as a result, you kind of go, okay, if that channel is going to be really hard then i got to find some other channels so then you start looking around to see what else you can do obviously you know instagram pinterest youtube tiktok all the social channels podcasts i'm a big advocate of podcasts cuz i think you can really tell a story right yeah exactly i don't know you know but no and also they're evergreen you know cuz once people find you and they like your podcast they're going to listen to a bunch of the episodes which is great
0: so, mm. we found by the way that every new podcast that we do, that we run, we, we, you know, these are published every week. The podcast typically goes out and we get X amount of uh, listeners to a new podcast every week. It's a pretty static number, but that then goes and we see that, that the previous weeks are all increasing by a percentage as well. So, if you look, our, our listenership has like a downward curve because okay. everybody kind of goes back. And listens to the, the previous, previous one and the previous one, the previous one, the previous one. So yeah. Uh, so podcast number one has got, I mean, I think this is going to be episode, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen, whatever it is when it goes out, will have the benefit of all the subsequent people that have found the podcast and gone back and listened to it.
1: I think that's amazing. And I think that's a great testimony as to why podcasts are such a great vehicle for brands. So podcasts and then you know there's a lot of other things you can do like we've done a lot of brand partnerships and giveaways and micro influencers and there's lots of stuff you can do actually with very little money and also your own content you can make videos you can do blogs and you don't have to spend a lot and i mean now okay there's an app i use on my iphone called video leap it is like crazy you can go on and make your own cut together edit together your own videos put in a voiceover, put in effects, like you don't even really need, like, I mean, obviously it doesn't look quite as professional as, you know, getting it, but it costs nothing. That's the thing. Like, you know, it literally costs nothing. So
0: someone who, you know, not too long ago was having a supermodel working on a multimillion dollar or a multibillion dollar brand to then realize that on almost zero dollars and zero cents, you can make an let's be honest, equally compelling piece of content, if it's yeah. got genuine kind of value. That, I would guess that was quite a, I hate to use the phrase, but quite an aha moment for you.
1: Oh my God, yeah. I mean, it's also, it's good and bad, right? Because then you feel a little pressure to then, okay, if I have control and can make all this stuff. And by the way, Canva, I use Canva constantly constantly. <laughs> I love it because I can make my, you know, Instagram stories and I can do all sorts of stuff in Canva. I love Canva. Right. I I love love it. I know. So, but like, I'm not a designer. Okay. Like, so that's the only thing that's bad about these is my own creative limitations are going to kind of hold me back because it helps me and they're giving me like the templates and they're giving me a head start, but I'm still not it's still never gonna look as good as if I get an actual designer to do it.
0: Right, and that's like, the answer for the enormous outlay of $35 on Fiverr. you well, yeah. get a really good designer right.
1: Then exactly, your copy
0: into something that looks really amazing.
1: It's so true. So you really can do so, so much with like almost nothing right now, like in terms of creative. I think the biggest challenge is getting really good hair shots that like are before and after shots, because the models have to have, their hair can't be completely fried. It has to be sort of a level of damage where our products make a difference, but not so damaged that they'll never, you know, they can never be recovered. So it's like finding the right hair to be able to make a credible before and after with the right model. And during covid forget it. That was where it was like, we couldn't, we, we had planned a shoot and it just wasn't going to happen. So what we ended up doing is going on to, there's another, I'm going to share another great site called trend where you can go on and buy. It's all credit-based. You buy credits towards influencers and it's like one credit per influencer. That's 50,000 or less followers. And you give them a brief and you're like, I want you to wash your hair, with our shampoo and conditioner and then show the before and show the after. And I want a video and I want you to post it on Instagram and they're like, okay. And then you own the content, which is the beautiful thing, because then I get to post that content on TikTok and other places. So to your point about like, there's so much you can do, I mean, you know, you don't really need to be a rocket scientist to do some of this and you don't even have to do it yourself. Like you can find ways to do it super cheap to get that content you need, which is awesome.
0: Because I think for me, the biggest sort of mind shift that we made in the last year or so was approaching social media as a producer rather than a consumer and mm-hmm. realizing that the amount of technology that's out there that is either free or very, very affordable, like, like we're talking nickels and dimes, you know, 10, 20, 30 bucks a month or you know, a pop has really democratized the industry, you know, and whether someone's selling a product and a product they're making themselves like you are, or people that are selling knowledge or services or whatever, there's a real opportunity to compete and put yourself out there and to establish a brand. And I think there's probably never been a more exciting time to start a business than now.
1: Yeah. I would agree with you. I mean, there's so many tools at your fingertips to deploy, but it can be overwhelming. That's the downside of it is there's so many and not all of them are good and not all of them are ready for prime time. We actually had that experience where we brought in an SMS partner and we had so many problems with them, but we just had problem after problem to the point where I was like, we have to switch. And then they wouldn't let us out of our contract, which is like, that's not very small biz friendly at all. But you know, you learn sometimes the hard way because sometimes these guys sell themselves on being able to do, I mean, you probably get those emails that I get like every day that are like, we can 10X your business or give you all this lead generation or, you know, all these companies that are promising to do all this stuff. And, you know, you got to really vet them because that's the, the downside of being in an economy where so much is available is like, What is actually good? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, There's lots and lots of snake oil out there right now. The biggest market I've seen is people selling stuff to small businesses that have established themselves on selling how to be a really successful business to all the small businesses. Right. And it's like, you know, this isn't in any way to castigate teachers. I've got lots of very good friends who are very good teachers, but there is the adage of those that can, certainly in business, those that can do, those that can't teach. And, you know, the amount of people that are out there going, you know, we've got this amazing tool, we've got this amazing training or this amazing system that will 10x your business. And I'm like, well, how's it 10x yours? And if it was so successful, why aren't you doing it yourself? Why are you, you know, right. charging me a number that ends with a seven to uh, to, right. to do it for me? So, I, so yeah, you're right. The amount of snake oil that's out there is. So. Yeah,
1: I was just gonna say, but by the way, this is also why ad agencies going full circle are screwed. Because the clients, and I was dealing with this when I was at J. Walter Thompson or even earlier, clients look at all this stuff and they're like, why is a commercial cost a million dollars to shoot? Like, can't you hire somebody for like $50,000? And like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, you know, of course, when I was at the agency, it would always be like preposterous, like, oh my gosh, you know, you have to have an A director, an A-list director, and you have to have this level of talent, which I think now, of course, is ridiculous when you're on the other side and you go, "We can do this for five <laughs> like, dollars."
0: Right, but at the same time, let's be honest. When Pepsi shoots a, you know, shoots a commercial with the modern day equivalent of Michael Jackson, right? Yes, they're gonna hire the modern day equivalent yes. of Ridley Scott to do it. So yes, that's you know, true. There
1: still is that world, but right. there are so many clients that are like, "We're not paying that anymore. We still want the quality." but we're gonna give you $200,000 to make the million dollar commercial. And the agencies would be like, we don't know how to do that. Like That's why I think they're sort of stuck between this rock and the hard place. Cause you have like where I am, like where you're spending nothing. And then you have, you know, where they used to be. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's like the messy middle is not fun.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. See, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but it's interesting of of how, the world of advertising is changing as well in that I have to tell you, I can't remember the last time. Actually, I can. I can remember the last time I watched live television. It was the Super Bowl, okay? Yeah. But before the Super Bowl, I, genuinely, I can't remember probably the last that. time I watched live television yeah. was probably the previous Super Bowl, right? Exactly. And so because I think so many people now are shifting towards streaming services and streaming services exclusively. So I'm such a... Um, an impatient individual that I'll pay the premium. I, we just signed up for Peacock, okay? Yes. Um, so did we actually. It's great, I love it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm binge watching Modern Family as we speak. And um, so we pay the premium for Peacock because I don't have to watch the commercials. We pay the premium for, for Hulu, so I don't have to watch the commercials. We pay the, the you premium- You are
1: advertising's worst nightmare. I
0: am advertising's worst nightmare. So probably the last time I watched a commercial, was at the Super Bowl, and the time before that was probably the last Super Bowl. Right. So, uh, so it's it's interesting to see how the world of advertising is going to shift. I think there'll still be the sort of the interruption style advertising on things like Facebook and YouTube, where it's like just before you watch this ad, watch this. Sorry, before you watch this video, yeah. watch this YouTube have, ad, which yeah, some very like smart people are using yeah. to their advantage because they're advertising the thing you want to watch the video about in their advertising thing. So that's pretty smart. But otherwise, it's going to be very interesting to see how the world of advertising, how the world of advertising changes. But to your point about the amount of tools, good and bad, that are out there, the importance of being selective and doing your homework to know what's worth investing your time and resources, however small those need to be. What other key pieces of advice would you give looking back almost to the point of, do you know what? I wish somebody would have tapped me on the shoulder two years ago and told me these things.
1: I wish somebody would have literally laid out like here's the playbook, right? These are the two- what what's that? I now that I one? have I have one now, I don't know, right. but it's like because it's not once you figure out what you need, it shouldn't be like you have to figure it out on the fly. It's sort of like okay, This is better than that. You need a, you know, email provider. You need a SMS provider. You you know, there's certain things that you know you kind of need. So that's what I wish we had figured out because what we ended up doing is we started plugging in some of those things. But as I mentioned, we weren't using the best partners. So I ended up having to unravel a few of those and plug in other ones. And now we're actually converting and consolidating over to Klaviyo, which is going to do a bunch of things for us that used to be three different partners. But like, I wish that I had done that from the beginning because, you know, it takes time, you know, every time you're onboarding a new partner and you have to upload your assets and create new, you know, it's time. And so that's one thing that I just wish there was more transparency around or like other founders sharing what works and doesn't work because then you can cut to the chase and avoid some of that pain and you can just like plug in the stuff you need and not worry about it so much you know what I'm saying how it's always does... going to evolve like there's yeah, always going to sure. be new things but how,
0: how much of the stuff do you think you could have done before like pre-launch or, or before you actually started like before like could you have found an email provider an sms provider I don't know a bottle supplier a stopper supplier, et cetera, before actually starting the business, as in would that have been helpful or was it just there would have been too much stuff to do? No, I
1: think it would have been incredible. A couple things. I think figuring some of that out before would have been helpful for sure. Mm -hmm. We figured out the basics and then we were adding on as we were going where there is some merit to learning, you know what I mean? And seeing what the business requires and then building it so there is some merit to that but i think we could have done some of it ahead of time the other thing we could have done is build out our hit list of what retailers and salons we wanted to be in and started doing that much earlier as opposed to waiting till we're like launch and got traction okay in all fairness i didn't know that we weren't going to be able to do it because of covid right. Right. So there was that. I mean, that was our plan is like, but I think we could have started three or four months before and gotten some early traction in some of those. And now I feel like we're behind on some of that. Now where we're ahead is in the e-commerce partners, because those have popped up left and right and proven to be a great sort of way for us to extend our distribution and reach. Some of them are launching literally now, like we have a couple partners that we're going into that are brand new. And so that's the cool thing about launching a business now to your point about it being a great time is that there are really interesting, cool, relevant platforms, marketplaces, partnerships that are launching every day. Right. And so you can find these things and build on them. I mean, we're on a couple of cool live streaming platforms that have been around like a year, you know? And you can experiment and I call it planting seeds. That's a big part of our strategy because you have to try a lot of different things and then you have to see what sprouts. Yeah. Because you don't know and none of us know, you know, like is live streaming gonna be the way that we all buy in the future? Who knows, but if you're not in there trying and doing, you'll never figure it out, so you gotta try it. So that's a big part of what we're doing is just experimenting on these platforms, seeing what sticks, seeing what doesn't, and there have been some things that we've decided, okay, that's not worth our time, and then there are other things where we're like, wow, that really paid off, we're going to double down, so you don't know if you don't do it, you know?
0: Right, absolutely, like one of my friends, she sells children's clothing, right, she she has a brand of children's clothing, and she tried a number of different things, and the one thing that she was just like, hey, I've read about it, it might work, it might not, was doing an Amazon live streaming um, every week, and that's proven to be her most consistent and most successful sales avenue. Oh, Even though she never thought, it was just like, hey, I might as well just try this. Had she never not not tried it, I'm pretty confident that her business would have, would have folded by now. And, and this is the thing that has been her biggest success. So thinking back and kind of looking forward, are you pleased that this is a change that you made?
1: Oh my God. I would never go back to advertising at this point. You'd have to drag me kicking and screaming like my business would have to blow up and the stock market would have to crash. Now, these things could happen. So I don't want to have this conversation with you in a year and you're like, remember when you said, and I'm like, mm. but okay, the stock Not market Lynn, would have Who's
0: to- now working as an advertising consultant.
1: Right, right. <laughs> but like, it would have to be some pretty dramatic things to happen where it would be like, I would, yeah, I can, I, I just have a really hard time ever seeing myself doing that.
0: Good. No, that's great. I'm really pleased that the promise of entrepreneurialism has really kind of paid off for you. And hopefully it's going to be great for you and for the business uh, for the future. Lynn, thank you so much for coming back on. It's been a thank real you. pleasure talking to you and a genuine pleasure learning more about, you know, your personal journey and how that's uh, kind of uh, moved forward. So all the very best to you and to the rest thank of the
1: Thank you, Simon. We'll talk again soon.
0: Coming up next week on The Conference Room, I'll be talking to CEO and diversity expert, Heather Cox. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this, or any other podcast, or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader, or Silesia Academy, on Facebook, or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to The Conference Room. Until next time, keep talking.